Our sermon passage for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses uh, 9 through 13. This is God's Word, good, beautiful, and true. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but children born of God. Let's pray. Father, I, we come to you now, uh, having read these verses, and I pray that you would uh, open the eyes of our heart to see and to understand and, and, and to be moved uh, toward love for you as we look at the incredible love you have for us in Jesus Christ, that we can be daughters and sons of God. Do this work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we started our sermon series in the Gospel of John. And like I said then, if you read through the Gospel of John, it's 21 chapters. Um, if you read through it, it's like one long courtroom drama. Um, and Jesus, in a sense, is on trial. The question that keeps popping up is, who is this guy? Who is he? And what is he up to? Um, and the first 18 chapters of this, or first 18 verses of this first chapter, we can think of it almost like, the opening statement. The attorney is telling us what he's going to tell us and show us before he actually shows it to us. But this opening statement, these first 18 verses, it begins with a song that confesses three things. Who Jesus is, what he's up to, and what that means for us. Now last week's sermon, we focused on the first of these, who Jesus is. And we saw that John calls him the Word, um, that he's divine, that Jesus is God, he's the maker of all things, that in him, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that light, him, shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. That's the first five verses of that opening statement, the first uh, five verses of the song who Jesus is, the Son of God, shining forth with a love that stretches beyond the edge and measure of time. That's incredible. Um, and so that brings us to our next two points um, that the song has us confess, what he's up to and what that means for us. What he's up to and what that means for us. That's what we'll look at today. Let's jump in. Verse 9, um, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Here, if uh, you focus in on the verses, we receive quite a shock. Um, now, earlier we've learned that the Word is this, is this personal being. and in, in, in the ancient world, that would have been incredible, an incredible thought. Um, but here we find out that this Word that was with God and was God, is coming into the world that it's made. Uh, I, I th it's hard for us to kind of get our mind around uh, how shocking this is, um, but ima we're Americans, or most of the people watching this are Americans. Imagine uh, if I said to you this, that the Constitution, the Constitution of the United States of America, was uh, coming into the world as a person, not just a piece of parchment, not just a thing written down, not just a bunch of words, but that the Constitution showed up 
as a person. <laughs> what? But that's essentially what John is saying here. The Word who was with God, who created all things, has life in himself, and that light is the light of all mankind, is coming into the world that he's created. The author, to use another illustration, the author is becoming a character in his own story. But here, we not only receive this shock that the author is entering the story that he's writing, we receive the first hints of a tragedy. Now, we saw last week that it talks about the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it or comprehended it. Um, but this tells us, these verses tell us, that the light has come into the world um, and was not recognized. That the creator of all things entered into his creation, but was not recognized. And not just that, verse 11 tells us that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. The phrase, he came to his own, can actually be translated, he came home. He came home and was unrecognized. He came home and was not received home. Back in 2010, which I can't believe is 11 years ago now, but back in 2010, Angela and I, um, we went to, um, and this is a confession, I'm a big UNC basketball fan. Big UNC basketball fan. Well, we went to the 100-year celebration uh, of Carolina basketball. And it was at the Dean Smith Center where the team plays its games, and it was packed out. And the it was just a big celebration of all things Carolina basketball. There were clips of old great games and these big moments from Carolina history. There were interviews with key players. They even had a scrimmage game with all these players throughout the, all the decades. It was a lot of fun. But the highlight of the night was near the end. And they actually brought Coach Dean Smith, this was before he passed away in uh, 2013, I believe, they brought Dean Smith out. And I don't think I've ever heard anything so loud in my life. Dean Smith came out and the crowd just roared. They roared with applause and cheering. And we were in a building named for him, the Dean Smith Center. And he, here was the man walking in, the one man that, if anybody, embodied Carolina basketball. He was Carolina basketball. And that response of us cheering for him, applauding for him, his former players applauding for him, that's what you know he deserved. That's what's to be expected, right? Well, what John is saying here is that Dean Smith came into the Dean Smith Center and was turned away. Dean Smith came into the Dean Smith Center and was booed. He was rejected. He was resisted. He was not received. Um, but it's even more drastic than that, obviously. Um, now, the nature of this rejection we actually see if we keep going in the Gospel of John. Jesus is resisted, and in when he's teaching, he's mocked by other people. He's even uh, mocked by his family members later on. He's rejected, he's resisted, he's plotted against by religious leaders and political leaders that are afraid of him. He's betrayed by his friend and, and left by his friends. And eventually, he's, he's arrested and put on trial in a sham of a trial, great injustice, and he is executed by the state and left for dead. As he said, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. That's an understatement, right? So what did he do? What did the word that's eternal, you know, Jesus is God, what did he do in the face of this incredible rejection? What did he do? Did he leave the world to its destruction? Did he leave us to our own devices? 
No, look again at verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. We need to see the wonder of these verses and just marvel. In the face of tragic rejection, Jesus does not turn his back on the world that he's created, but did not receive him. In the mysterious grace of God, his execution by the state becomes a fountain for us of God's forgiveness. The injustice of his cross becomes him taking our punishment from us, where he faces the just wrath of God against sin, where he takes our sin from us to bear it for us. And that's not it. That, that's not all. Um, and when he rises three days later from his grave in victory, in his resurrection, he doesn't leave us behind then. He invites us to come to him, not so that we feel guilt for the, what, the punishment that he faced on our behalf that he didn't deserve. No, he invites us to come to him and be received home. He came into this world and this world did not receive him. But when Jesus burst forth from the grave and new life and victory, he receives us. He invites us to come to him by faith. And as these verses say, he gives us the right to become children of God. He pursues, he creates, and then he recreates. He is making people us who are subject in so many ways to sin and death, who are subject to this world of chaos and darkness, he makes us children of God. He begins to write a better story from us, for us, than the stories that we are writing for ourselves. This is grace upon grace upon grace. The Bible calls this our adoption. When it speaks about us being adopted in Christ, this is what it's talking about. We are united to Jesus by faith, and because of that, we are lifted up, in a sense, and considered with Him, so that everything that belongs to Jesus by right becomes ours by grace. Scripture talks about us being co-heirs with Jesus, in a sense, with Him being our older brother. He identifies with us in every way so that we might be identified with Him. We are adopted by God. We are called daughters and sons of God, beloved daughters and sons. Not because we have the right last name, not because we have all these great resources at our disposal, not because of our own works, but because of His grace. That's what it's emphasizing in verse 13. Not born by natural descent or human decision, but born of God. We are now, through Jesus, children, not of our past, but children of grace. The picture is this. Apart from God working on our behalf, apart from us responding to Him by faith, we are stuck. We're in a bad situation that we cannot get out of. We are uh, bound by sin, we are bound by our past. We are bound by the bad decisions of others against us. We are bound and we live lives of, of selfishness. We work for status and we work for reputation. We're obsessed with getting things and making a name for ourselves. But into this mess, into this mess, the light of Jesus shines forth and calls us to life. He calls us not just to life, but intimacy with God. He reconciles us to God 
so that we can call God the creator of all things, he who we have turned our back on in so many ways. We can call him Father. And when we pray, we can be certain that he hears us and that he cares for us. We can have intimacy and relationship with God that we could not have found any other way. In the face of our hiding and darkness, God persists in his grace. But here's the thing. This glorious truth of our adoption in Jesus Christ, this is not a truth that we hear one time and we get it. It takes a really long time for this to sink into our hearts. In fact, there's a sense that we can look at the entirety of the Christian life as, as a long process of this truth, that we are the children of God. And, and, and the Christian life is a long process of that truth sinking in to impact every part of who we are. Think of it, uh, our baptism as our ceremonial uh, entrance into the family of God and the rest of our lives is learning to lean in on this truth and to depend upon this truth, to find ourselves as sons and daughters of God, dearly loved as our source of worthiness, our, our, as our core identity, that we are not slaves to sin. We are not orphans, but we are daughters and sons of God. I have some friends who used to work um, with an organization called the International Justice Mission. And the, the mission that they were on specifically, um, they worked with kids who had been kidnapped as uh, children, as young children, and uh, been raised as slaves to pirates. Um, no, that's not a fantasy story. This is, this is something that was happening in the world just a couple years ago and still ongoing. But my friends, they worked with these kids who had been rescued from slavery. And um, they, one of the things that they found fascinating was it wasn't like a, a movie ending. You know, in a movie ending, someone gets rescued and happy ending, right? Everything's okay. They got rescued. Now they're free from slavery. But what they found is that they would, they would save these kids, but it took a long time for the kids to get it into their minds and get it into their hearts that they were free. It took them a long time to actually live out the reality that they weren't slaves anymore. The kids were so used to the lies that they had been told that the truth sounded too good to be true. It didn't make sense to them. And so even though they were safe and secure and there was plenty of food, they'd steal and hoard food because it didn't make sense to them that there would be plenty for them tomorrow. They had been, uh, it had been ingrained in who they were that they were slaves, that they were not safe. They would steal and hoard food. They, anytime they got in trouble, they, they would be convinced they were going to get beat. They would recoil. Or they were convinced that they would be given away or sold. The truth that they were free, that they were safe, that they were so uh, secure now, was too good to be true. My friends found out that they had to keep telling the kids, reiterating, repeating over and over again the story of the rescue. Our friends had to tell them the story over and over again of them being set free from their bondage until it sunk deep into their minds and their hearts. It took them living 
in the reality of their security, living in the reality of their freedom over time to get used to the idea um, to be free. The same is true of us. The fact of our adoption in Jesus, that we are daughters and sons of God, is not a truth that we hear one time and we move on from. No, we camp out here. We camp out here because we have a lot of muscle memory built up on believing lies. We have a lot of muscle memory built up on the idea that we're alone in this world, that we are uh, slaves to sin, that we're in bondage to things we can't control. We have a lot of muscle memory built up there, and we don't get it immediately. We need to live in the reality of the freedom that comes from the grace of God. We need to live in the reality of of being uh, delighted in by God and Jesus Christ. Um, And so we tell this story to each other over and over again. That's one of the reasons we gather weekly in worship, because we are formed by worship, not just the sermon, Not just the words we hear, we're formed by the songs we sing. We're formed by the prayers we pray. We are formed over time. And the the reality of us being dearly loved daughters and sons sinks down into who we are. And so we hear Scripture tell us this story. We encourage each other with this reality. When we are beaten down, when we are struggling with sin, when we are awash in shame, we lean into the reality of who we are in Jesus, dearly loved daughters and sons. And in the telling of it and in the hearing of it, over and over again, we find it sinking deeper and deeper into our hearts. This morning, hear me. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're not a slave to fear. You're not a slave to sin. You're not a slave to the things that you struggled with in the past or maybe even the things that you're struggling with right now. You're not a slave to your past. You're not a slave to the lies that people have said about you or the lies that your own heart has said to you. In Jesus, you are a dearly loved daughter and son. God delights in you. He knows everything about you and delights in you and will never stop delighting in you. And we can lean into this. We can lean into this. We can build our lives on the sure foundation of God's incredible love for us. It may take us a while to get it. In fact, it's going to take our whole lives (laughs) to get it. But maybe even starting right now, we can realize that God delights in us, that in Jesus Christ, God loves us. And that story is not just true right now. This is the story that is true for us for all eternity. So come to faith in Jesus. Receive His grace and rest on it. Receive Him as your Lord and Savior right now if you never have before. And if you have before, if you've believed in Him for a long time, know this truth is still as true today as the first time that you believed. And let's together grab a hold of this by faith and let's find our hearts changed today for tomorrow, for the rest of our lives and even into forever. This is God's will for you to love you, to call you into His family, and to cherish you as His child.